Amen. Amen. So the old story goes, there was an old elderly couple that decided they wanted to go into town one day. Uh, They were in no particular order, so they got in their old truck, bench seats, and drove off into town. Now, as painting with broad strokes here, but as most elderly couples do, uh, they were going a little below the speed limit. And so, as you might imagine, it wasn't long before another truck came up behind them. This one was driven by a younger couple. And uh, the young man driving the truck was a little impatient, had somewhere to be, and drove up right behind tailgating the, tailgating the, the older couple and uh, began honking his horn, began flashing his lights on this two-lane road. But finally, the, the old man was set in his ways. He's not going to speed up even one mile an hour. Uh, and eventually, when he had just enough time, the young man sped ahead of him, zoomed by him, and jerked it over right into the lane right before the oncoming car came in. So, as you can imagine, this really frustrated the old man. He began to grumble and complain about this generation of young people and how they had no respect and they had no regard for human life and their own. They thought they were indestructible. And his wife, though, had noticed something very different about the truck in front of him. The old lady looked at her husband and said, Honey, why don't we drive in in the car like that? Why don't we drive like that couple did that just sped by? I remember when we used to do that. I was sitting in the middle seat. You were driving. I was sitting in the middle seat. We were pressed against one another. We just couldn't get enough of each other. Your arm would be around me. and Oh, it was just such a precious time. Nothing could separate us. The old man was obviously still aggravated, and he looked over at her and said, Woman, what are you talking about? I don't know why you're bringing this up to me, because I haven't moved an inch, right? We live in uncertain times in this day and age. Uh, We live in unprecedented times. The conversations I've had in the last two, three weeks... I never thought I would have in the history of my ministry. And, depend, and regardless of how long you've lived, chances are you've never lived through a period of time like this. And if we're not careful, man, we can allow fear and anxiety, like the video showed at the beginning, we can allow fear and anxiety to rule our life. And, and, and it's not just that we have initial anxiety, but that we allow it to make decisions and chaos begins to win in our life. And then we get to the point where we ask ourselves, where is God in all this? And what we'll find is that God is right where we left him. He is constant and he is unchanging. We're the ones that fluctuate close to him and far away. We're, we're continuing our series, We the Church, today. Uh, Heath did an incredible job sharing about how Christ is supreme over everything. And so for us, the three distinctives that we have for our church, what does church look like in this day and age? The first thing is we're going to be centered on Christ because he is supreme over all things. Next week, Andy John will be sharing about how we are uh, to be engaged in community. Thank Thanks to technology, we have the ability to be connected like never before, even when we're miles and miles apart. And we'll be talking about that. But today, I want to talk to you about 
commitment. How committed are you to the plans that God has for your life in this context? God has a desire for all of us in any season to be committed to him and committed to his word. The question for us, he's talked about how God is supreme over the world, right? He's supreme over creation. He's supreme over his church. The question today is, is Christ supreme in your life? Is he your Lord? And is he your Savior? So the first thing I want to look at, we'll have four points here I want to go through quickly. The first point is this. I want to look at our foundation on Christ. Our foundation on Christ. If you got your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 6. Any any builder will tell you the most important part about a house is the foundation. If the foundation is solid, then the house has the ability to be solid. But it doesn't matter how well the house is put together. If the foundation isn't the way it needs to be, then the whole house is in peril. And so the foundation for us is important. For me, we about five years ago, we moved into our house in Elkmont, and uh, we began, uh, I remember we began building our house. We knew the type of house we wanted. We had seen uh, a show home, a showroom of the house that we wanted and loved it. And in, in 27 days, after they had built the foundation, it took them 27 days to put together the rest of our house. Uh, 27 days. But before that 27 days, I can remember going with my wife, right? We, this is our first house that we've ever built. Uh, we were getting out of our starter home. We were living at my parents' house, so there was an increased desire to get out. Uh, and we would go by every day, and there were just very small changes that we would see. There'd be a pile of dirt one day. That pile of dirt would be smooth. There'd be a pile of gravel. That gravel would be smooth. And over and over and over we'd go, and it looked like they were making no progress at all. Finally, they would they built the frame that would be the, the foundation of the home. And I remember they actually poured it. And it took weeks still for them to actually begin building on that home. Why? Because the builders understood that if the foundation is wrong, then so is everything else. If we're to remain committed in our life with Christ, we need to focus on the foundation that is our relationship with him. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 says this. Therefore, as you have received the Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The very first phrase there tells us the foundation of everything that Paul is going to say. Everything I'm going to say in, in, in this room today, in this message today, comes from the foundation of as you have received Christ Jesus. And so I want to pause right here. Listen, this is unprecedented. This is a little strange and peculiar, but we live in those kind of days, right? I want to give you an opportunity right now. I believe if I talk you into salvation, someone else smarter than me, which isn't hard to do, can talk you out of it. And so right now, if you feel the holy presence of God drawing you to a relationship with him. There's never been a time in your life where you've confessed your sins to Christ. 
that you've believed in who Jesus was as the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, he rose, to de- rose from the dead three days later, and he is now making intercession for you. If you believe that, and there's never been a time that you have confessed your heart and life unto the Lordship of Christ, I want to give you that opportunity right now. This is live stream. This is technology. And so right now, you can pause this message and gloriously surrender your life to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, nothing else is going to make sense to you if we don't get the foundation of our life. Right, so right now, where you're at in your home, pause this minute, and if you need to, if you need to surrender your life to Christ, you do that right now. Surrender yourself to the Lordship of Christ. But he goes on from there. He doesn't stop there. He says, as you have received Christ, so walk in Him. This is a language of a pilgrimage, of, of taking a journey, and we're familiar with this terminology, we're familiar with the idea of our walk being the walk of life and that we need to, to we're going through things and we're enduring things that we've maybe never been through and been and, and seen, but that's normal in a pilgrimage, right? And so he says, so walk in Christ, but he doesn't stop there. He gives us the imagery of being rooted in Christ. This is, uh, our, our, this is a agri- agricultural word. Uh, in the Greek, it's an agricultural word. It's, it's, uh, symbolic of a tree, right? That is, that is growing. Before you see anything above ground, it has grown a network of roots into the foundation, into the soil, so that it is rooted, that it is established, and it is going nowhere. Then he gives us an architectural word. He tells us that we are to be rooted and built up. This would be as any builder. From a foundation, we begin building on what God has called us to do. We we begin building on the foundation so that it is a sturdy structure. But he goes on. He says that we are not just to be rooted and built up in him, but established in the faith. We are to be learned. This is an education word. We are to be studied in the word of God. We are to be immersed in this word of God. And so he gives us... An education word. And then finally, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The word picture here is a a river that is overflowing its banks in the time of harvest. That, That you physically cannot contain the sheer substance and amount of water that's moving through a channel that is a river. And it's overflowing its bounds. In all things... We are to be abounding. We are to be overflowing in thanksgiving. So we don't stop at the foundation. Our foundation is sturdy and in Christ. But we build on that foundation in every other aspect of our life. On the screen, you'll see that our commitment to God, if we are to remain committed to God, our commitment is the confirmation of our conversion. Now, this is very different than works-based salvation, right? Works-based salvation is we work to earn the, the favor of God in our life. We, we work to achieve uh, God being satisfied in what we do. But Christianity is different than every other religion in the world, is that we don't work for favor. We, as believers, work from favor, 
God gave us his favor and then we pursue him with everything that we have. And our commitment is confirmation that Christ truly has changed us. It's confirmation for us through the Holy Spirit of God that we have a guarantee of our salvation. And we see that as Christ has so invaded our hearts and our minds that it can't help but work its way to our hands and our feet. We see that commitment played out. So that we have a guarantee of our salvation. It's a down payment. It's a deposit on what we will receive one day in glory. But we have this Holy Spirit as a guarantee. But it's also a confirmation of the conversion for others. Matthew 5 tells us that we are to let our light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Works may not be essential for your salvation, but it very well may, may be essential for the salvation of someone that you know. That somebody see your good works. And because of that, because they know that Alan Ostrisky could not muster those works on his own, that they are forced to give glory to God. But our commitment is the confirmation of our conversion. Number two, we've seen the foundation on Christ. Let's look at the fullness in Christ. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In the immediate context, Paul was dealing with an issue, a belief called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism above obedience taught enlightenment. And for us to be spiritual meant that we needed to free ourselves from a material world. In fact, they viewed all material things as flawed and as, uh, as corrupt. And so... The, the way to worship, according to Gnosticism, was to reach some higher plane or existence, similar to a nirvana, reach a place of great enlightenment that they called the pleroma in Greek, literally meaning the fullness. And that was the way that we, we, were, we were to worship, not a physical ascent, not us being obedient today, but seeking for something intangible that was not of this world. And so when he says in verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells, you know the word that he uses there? He uses the, the, the Colossians word against them. He uses the word pleroma. He says the fullness of deity, if you were trying to ascend to some divine status through your enlightenment, I want you to understand that the fullness of God rests in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of God. He is the sum total of the, of the being and the attributes of God. And here you go, Gnosticism, you Gnostics. All of that was in bodily form. He was in a man. He wasn't just of the appearance of man. He was all man and all God simultaneously. And this is what he said, that the fullness of God, and that alone is incredible. But he doesn't stop there. As completely as God dwells in Christ, so we have been completely filled with Christ. 
He says in verse 10, you have been filled in him. Guess what word he used? Same one, pleroma. You, as, as equally as Christ is the whole deity at rest in Christ, so Christ fully and completely rests in you. I love what the King James says. I'm reading from ESV. I love what the King James says. He says, you are complete. There's no need for you to look anywhere else for your higher existence. All of the fullness of God rests in Christ and Christ rests fully in you. What an amazing picture. As one scholar writes, this would be a better way maybe perhaps to write Colossians 2.10. And you are in him, having been completely filled full with the present result that you are in the state of fullness. You know what that tells me? We are full and abounding. We are overflowing with the fullness of God. If we have a relationship with Him, if we've built on that foundation, we have a relationship with Him. So, our commitment is the product of the fullness of God. It's not an effort on our part. It is God working through us to fulfill us, as Paul, as uh, Vance Pittman would say. Stop working for God and allow God to work through you, right? Stop trying to earn credit with Jesus and let Jesus work supernaturally through you. There's a freedom there. So why would we go anywhere else in today's climate with all the uncertainty, with all the wisdom that we're seeking? Why would we go anywhere else to find meaning and significance in our life? Yet we find significance in our career. So we worry when we lose our career. We find significance in our uh, connections and relationships with people. As, and, and that's not bad things. But when we find, derive our meaning from there, that's when we begin to worry when that's taken away. But all of the fullness rests on Christ. And it's only when you've experienced the fullness of God that you can recognize the emptiness of this world. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. If you have experienced today in your living room, if you have experienced the fullness of God in your life, you know it. And you recognize that there is only one place where you can find contentment, and that is in the arms of Jesus, in resting in the fullness of God in you. But we've seen the foundation on Christ. We've seen the fullness in Christ. I want to look thirdly at freedom through Christ. So in this time, we're working really hard, but usually after five, uh, we have some time to spend with our boys. And my wife just got us a subscription to Disney Plus because apparently you can't be in quarantine without a subscription to Disney Plus. Uh, and I love to watch the Disney channel movies, right? And we're watching these movies and these heroes, but there's always a point in every movie where the hero appears to be completely destroyed, right? There's no hope. There's no, he is gone. He is dead. And so my kids and I, we've kind of, I play a little game with them. They now know what I'm doing when I do it, but it really got them the first few times I go, hey, uh, by the way, uh, Mr. Incredible, he's dead. Like the bad guy, the bad guy lives and, and it doesn't end well. Like the bad, it's over, right? The bad guy, the good guy dies. So this is the movie the good guy dies in. I just, just wanted you to know, wanted to prepare you for that. And they're freaking out. What? No, because they understand what? Death is the end, 
right? There is no, there is no recovering from death. Listen what Colossians 2.13 tells us. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authority and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What does he tell us there? We are the ultimate underdog story. As soon as someone's dead, there's no more hope. If the good guy dies and the bad guy's still alive, we're in trouble. My kids recognize that. We recognize that. But we were dead. What does that mean? We were utterly without hope. There was no hope of us ever saving ourselves. As John 3 would say, we are, we're not going to be condemned one day. We were condemned already. The wrath of God was focused on us. But God. But God. While we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, we were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made us alive together with Him. And how did He do it? He ended the sin. He ended. He did away. He did what the Old Testament uh, sacrifices could not do. He ended our enmity between God and man by substituting His death on our behalf. What an amazing story. You know, we talk a lot about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But understand the word gospel actually predates Jesus. Uh, that is not something uh, that, that Christians came up with. The word gospel literally means good news. And so before Jesus, the word gospel was used in connection with the military. When an empire would have surrounding areas and provinces and the, the enemy would come in and would attack this province, that power, be it Rome or whoever it was, would go out and they would destroy the enemy forces. And once that was completed, once victory was won, they would send out a messenger. And the messenger would proclaim the gospel. The gospel. The gospel was, the good news was, that the king had won the victory. Villagers, peasants, lords, you don't have to worry anymore. Go back to life the way it used to be, right? Don't worry about being afflicted by this foreign power. Our king has won the victory. Now equate that to what Jesus did for us on the cross. He took the ultimate uh, enemy. He took sin. He took death, hell, and the grave and our king bore the weight of that on a tree for us so that we, as his people through our commitment to him, could proclaim that the victory is already won. He's victorious. In him, we have freedom. Our king has fought the battle for us. So our commitment is the declaration of our victory. God is bigger 
than any virus. God is bigger than any social distancing. God is bigger than all of these things. Not that we should ignore any of that, but God is greater and God is in control and we can rest knowing that ultimately the victory has been won for us. So why would we live defeated by a circumstance when God has called us to experience His freedom? We are free in Christ. Why do we continue to fight battles when the war has already been won? So we build on His foundation. We draw from His fullness. And we experience His freedom. What I've been referencing today is the idea of having a source in our life. And so I brought here a source most of you would be accompanied with. Now, many of you know what this is. Ultimately, this is a Pinterest project that my mom did. Um, That's ultimately what this is. Uh, But it looks like a well, right? And so back in Jesus' day, back in... in, uh, in the time, in biblical times, whole civilizations would surround a water source like this. They would surround a well. Why? Because they were incapable of producing enough water for themselves to provide for everything that they need. So they needed a source to depend on. If God is our foundation, if God is our fullness, and God has ultimately given us freedom, then church, He is a remarkable source. For us. So the well stands here as a source, but we're not done just yet. Because, fourth, I want to look at faithfulness to Christ. Colossians 3, verse 1 says this If then you have been raised with Christ, there it is again, the foundation. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Lastly, on your screen, our commitment is our choice. We have an incredible source in our God. We have foundation. We have fullness. And we have freedom. But ultimately, every one of us have a bucket. Every one of us have a bucket. Have ourselves that we we decide. Our commitment to Christ is a choice. Paul would say, I die daily. Right? I think for me, probably a little less spiritual than Paul, I die moment by moment, right? Uh, that, but Paul said, I die daily. Why? What was he doing there? He was making the choice to take his bucket to the source where he found lasting joy and contentment. You see, because our commitment to Christ still depends on our choice. And listen, you can fill your bucket with the opinions of this world, you can fill your bucket with all of the chaos and the, the negativity that we see in media. You can fill your bucket with a ton of different things. Not that we don't listen to them, but to fill your bucket with them is a dangerous prospect when ultimately everything that we need 
should flow from our source. Should flow from God. So what is, what's in your bucket? Where are you going? What are the choices that you are making? Who are you going to day after day as this situation continues to pan out? Are you going to God's word? Are you going to people that are going to direct you to him? Are you going to God in prayer? Or are you taking your bucket somewhere else? Our commitment is also our choice. So the choice is yours. In this moment, what choice do you need to make? What enters the eyes will eventually fill the mind. And what fills the mind will eventually saturate your heart. Would you take your bucket? Would you take your life and dip it into the source of of all things to find lasting joy and commitment and, and contentment. God has done it all for you. He will live his life through you if we will decide to follow him today. So whatever that looks like for you today, maybe that looks like obedience, following the Lord in, in baptism. Maybe you need to get that right. Right? You've been saved and you know that you have a relationship with Jesus and you need to follow the Lord in baptism. Call us, info at lindsaylane.org. We would love to talk to you about how you can follow the Lord in baptism. Or like the family at North last week that decided to join our church. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, link arms with fellow believers that are going to encourage you toward the source. But whatever it is, I pray that right now, don't allow distance to limit what Christ desires to do in your heart and in your life today. Would you decide to follow him? Would you commit your life to him today and allow him to receive all glory, honor, and praise for it? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and that it's living and active. And I pray for one maybe in this place under the sound of my voice, God, that needs to follow you. They need to dip into the source, God, of all things. Lord, they need to build their life on you. I pray for one that for whatever reason, maybe they haven't responded uh, to the gospel yet. They haven't responded to your message of salvation. I pray that right now they would commit their life to your lordship. And Lord, you'd give them boldness to let somebody know about the decision that they've made. I pray that somebody, uh, God, would commit, Lord, to follow you in believer's baptism, unashamed, for the one that needs to follow you in, in church membership. They need to join and be a part of a body of believers that's going to continue to work tirelessly to point all of us toward you as our source. God, fill our buckets today. Allow us to be committed. And may you receive all glory, honor, and praise for everything. It's in your holy name we pray.